Welcome to By the Campfire, a podcast in which I sit down around a virtual campfire to have a good conversation with a guest. No time limits, no prepared topics, just an old-fashioned conversation. Uh, it's, it's good to have such a full room. Um, but uh, the, the best thing is we're at DPC. Uh, this is the first time I'm recording this live in front of a live studio audience. Um, and I've got two people uh, as guests here uh, next to me. Is Wim. Hi, Wim. Hi. And on the other side is Gary. Hello. Hi. So, um, have you ever listened to By the Campfire in the podcast? No, I no, have not. Okay, let me explain the concept. <laughs> um, we're sitting down, usually by a campfire, but we don't really, we can, we're not allowed to make a campfire here inside. Um, now, we're, we're sitting down, we're not prepared, and we're just going to chat about stuff. Sounds good. So, Sounds good. first a small intro. Wim, who are you? Oh, well, um, I'm from Belgium. Um, I'm sorry. Sorry? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm a PHP developer who owns a small business uh, in Belgium. Okay. And uh, been doing that for quite a while. And Gary, who are you? Where am I or who no, am I? Who, who are oh, you? Um, I'm Gary Hawking. I'm a developer evangelist at Twilio, three weeks into a new job. So it was kind of exciting. And I'm from Swansea in the UK. Yeah. Um, more importantly, in Wales in the UK. Yeah, we were mentioning that earlier. Yeah. You're from Wales, not from England. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. This is an it's important big part. distinction. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's good. So what, why, why is that such a big thing? Um, Mainly for sporting reasons and nothing else. Uh, okay. I mean, yeah, mainly uh, football and, and rugby, of course, a big sporting right. world, huge deal. So, yeah, we were talking about the Netherlands beating England last night, right? In, yes. In the football, yeah. and I'm yeah. like, well, why would I care? That's not my <laughs> team, you know? It's okay, okay. So you're, you just started a new job? Yes, uh, three weeks ago, yeah. I think. And what, yeah. what are you doing? Um, I'm a developer evangelist, so part of the developer network at Twilio, we kind of, um, our remit is to educate and help developers who are using the product. Um, right. So that's through, the developer network covers like documentation and developer experience, which is like how the API works, how the endpoints look, making sure that there's consistency and no breaking changes and all that good stuff. And then the developer evangelist team. So we get out to events, talk to people about the products, become like the face of the product in the community and the, right. the, the voice of the community inside the product team. So it's a pretty cool job. That's great. That sounds good. Yeah. So you basically, you get paid to go to conferences. Yeah, that's a big misconception. Oh. But it is part of it, yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> it is part <laughs> of it, yeah. Yeah. So, so what, but your job is to talk basically to us because we're the developers? Yes. Yeah, so it's not a sales role and it's not a marketing role. That's kind of an important distinction. So okay. I'm not trying to sell the product to people. It's more it's more a, a support role, I would guess, Okay. and an education role. Yeah. Um, so typically we'd have a booth. We don't have a booth here at DPC, but we are sponsoring the event, which is why I'm here. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at a booth, it's kind of easier because you can get interactive, you can give demos, and you can just, like, say, oh, people can come up to you and say, I've been trying to do this. Like, how can I do that? And... It's a paid product, so there are there are formal support channels, but people are kind of, I don't know, developers are kind of sometimes reluctant to use right. paid support channels for products, yeah. right? So I guess my remit is to become the first point of contact for developers inside Atwilio. Yeah. For, P for PHP is my remit. So. Right, right. Yeah. 
Okay. Okay. It's actually funny that you mentioned that um, you're in charge of making sure there's no compatibility breaks on the Twilio API. Oh, I'm not in charge of that. Oh, no. okay. Our team is in charge of oh, okay. that. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm we had a major issue with that uh, like a month ago or something. Really? Wow. Yeah. We had code that was running, that was built for an old version of the Twilio API. And basically, uh, it would launch a call and it had a from and a to parameter, but the to was first and the from was the second parameter. Yeah. And they changed that in a later version. And we just migrated, I mean, the same code to a new number and then yeah. just deployed it. And it started causing loops apparently, but it didn't alert us. Wow. And yeah. we got a bill of $1,200. That's nice. Wow. Which luckily, after complaining a lot, they yeah, 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 did yeah. refund. You you should, obviously, you, wouldn't, you shouldn't be paying that. But um, was that like the Twimmel, the XML format, or was it part using the it SDK? The X, yeah, the XML. The XML, format, oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually. We should definitely talk about that in a not-so-public forum later. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's working now. And, and, yeah, yeah. and yeah, the only good. thing was that probably it was in the documentation somewhere, but there were so many versions in between that, yeah, we I, I mean, didn't see that. Developer education is a big thing, and that, that's a developer education fail. You know, there's no denying it, um, unless, of course, you were emailed and didn't read the emails or put them straight to spam or something of that nature. But yeah, who reads all the emails? Breaking changes updates. happen, right? You yeah, know, exactly, you, exactly. you should be keeping up to date in your in your software. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm true. I'm gonna throw that straight back on yeah, you. Yeah, so yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I should have checked. <laughs> it is taken really seriously. Breaking changes obviously are taken really seriously. People, you know, I wouldn't like to guess how many hits the APIs get like daily. I wouldn't like to guess, but it's a lot. So it is taken incredibly seriously. Mm -hmm. And every break and change is discussed and formalized and then approved or denied. So, yeah. Yep. That's a bad story, though. <laughs> but there's probably a lot of good stories to counter that because you're using Twilio. So that means yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're doing something right. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm really happy about it. And, and the way they handled the complaint was really good and it got approved and everything was refunded. And, and so I'm really happy about it. Okay, that's good. Let's, let's not make this a, a commercial podcast about no, Twilio. No, no, let's, let's do it. Come on. <laughs> so, um, uh, but the, the topic of um, uh, backwards compatibility is interesting, though. Um, uh, how, what is the easiest way to keep backwards compatibility so that things don't break? Or mm. at least not that easy. Never add new features. Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, yes. But if, if I'm just starting out and I don't have that many features, should I just not add any more features? <laughs> it, it's a difficult problem, right? Because you want your product or your library or your open source project or whatever to evolve over time and you have to make breaking changes yeah. at some point, but it's really it's really weird in something like we were discussing, which is an XML format, because um, you should still be versioning that, right? And versioning is the key to to breaking changes, yes. right? yeah. to backwards yeah. compatibility. That is the the answer is you, as long as you have predictable versioning, you should you should be giving your users a clue that when they update a new major version, you know they're going to have to investigate the change log and look at what's broken and do all that good stuff. But it is a really tricky um, problem, I guess. Yeah, yeah I, th I think for APIs, um, especially a lot of companies still don't use actual URLs that contain the version in there. Yeah. And so when something breaks in the API, like two parameters switching places, that, that could be fatal. Yeah. Um, whereas if they use a version number in the API, then well, it's always going to stay the same for that version. Of course, that means that the company has to 
continue to support all those versions until at some point they deprecate them and, and then people don't read the email notifying them. <laughs> well, that's a different story. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you have some experience with that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but uh, okay, so this is an interesting thing as well because you mentioned uh, put the version in the URL. There is a big discussion. Should, should we put, uh, uh, put the version in the URL or should we use a header or what's, what's your take on that? I think both could could work, um, but I think the ones that people the one that people use most frequently is definitely the URL one. Yeah, um, because it's it's vis more visible than than a header, you know. And um, however, putting it in the header might in some cases be a better choice. Um, it's it's a tricky one. It's a it's a very tricky one. I, I don't have an answer to to. Well, there's obviously no single uh, no. right answer in in discussions like this. But yeah, do you have an experience with that, uh, Gary? I I I don't particularly care to be okay. perfectly blunt. No, I mean as long as you're versioning somehow. Yeah. The semantics of how you decide to version is just the implementation detail, right? right? And I don't know enough. I'm kind of ignorant about the topic in some respects because okay. I don't know. Um, I tend to just use the URL because it's easy. Right. Um, typically. But yeah, I, as long as it's documented and, and it's there, then yeah. I think it's not that important on the implementation details. Yeah. Okay. I could be wrong. I've <laughs> been wrong. I've been wrong before in, I think it was 1999. No, so. Gary, you can never be wrong. <laughs> I, um, impossible. I, I won't say any more to that. That's fine. That's <laughs> quite enough. <laughs> so, um, you're from Belgium. I am. How's the PHP? world in Belgium? Um, well, let's say that PHP's had a hard time in Belgium for many, for many years because all colleges and universities uh, were basically funded by Microsoft and Oracle. And right. Um, so people got taught .NET or uh, yeah, Oracle databases and yeah, things like that. So PHP was kind of like well, w the way it started off, uh, it was a hobbyist language. Yeah. And so people just learned it by trying to copy-paste some stuff from the old website, phpclasses.org, right. if anyone remembers yes. that one. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's how most people started. Um, it isn't until, like, maybe 10 years ago that actually you could actually learn PHP in, 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 uh, at college and university. And even then, it was like a one-hour-a-week thing. Right. So um, finding good developers is, is harder in, in Belgium than it is in, in some other countries. Okay, okay. But yet you, you run a company? You yeah. You, have, you hire people to work in that company? Do you have a hard time finding them? Um, it, it depends. I mean, it's, it's easy to find people. It's hard to find really good people. Right. Yeah. Um, so we currently have six people, all seniors. Um, but it's it's been a it's been a tough job to find them, and we've had to go to recruitment companies, which is a very expensive thing, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, we we just recently hired someone who came up to us at PHP Benelux. Uh, oh, so that was right. good. That was a good uh, thing to do. We sponsored again, and uh, we're really happy this time that we that we sponsored again. Um, and actually, it's our first international hire, someone from Italy. Oh, right. So. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, uh, will that person be working remotely from Italy, or are they moving to Belgium then? Um, he's moved to Belgium. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Is there? 
is there a specific reason? Is that because you wanted him to move or is that because he wanted to move? He wanted to move. Uh, his wife is actually Belgian and they oh, decided right. that their future would be in Belgium. Ah, so, okay. Nice, yeah. Makes sense. That's a really nice story, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. Actually, yeah. his uh, his parents-in-law live less than five minutes from the, the office, so he's currently staying there. Oh, <laughs> right. It's a good uh, temporary solution. Uh, so. Yeah, yeah. Would you... Uh, do you do remote work or...? We do, uh, but not in the sense that um, not not full not time full-time. remote okay. work. Yeah, we okay. expect people to come to the office at least a few days a week. There's only so many days a week. Yeah, but well, it depends. It depends. I mean, we've we've done remote work with some people in the past, and sometimes it works out, and sometimes it doesn't. Okay. Yeah. And so. Well, it is a skill, right? Yeah. Yeah, being able to work remotely. Correct, correct. And most most of the people right now, there's one person who has to travel like an hour, and the rest for the rest it's it's less than thirty minutes usually. Oh right, okay, okay. You you work remote, right? Yeah, I think for six or seven years now, um, either partially or fully remote. Yeah, yeah. I love it. You know, to be honest, uh, I don't think I could go back to fully in office job like I, I certainly I'm not going to sit here like I would love people would love me to go off on a rant about how remote is the future and because I'm kind of vocal about it all but I, I I absolutely appreciate the value of being in an office and being in a shared environment when I was working at the BBC I would go in two days a week or one day a week but that day was absolutely invaluable right. because of the way that the, the, the kind of I mean, after looking at the keynote this morning, you know, the kind of the way that we did Agile at the BBC was really, I feel like it was done really well, but we used to make sure that all of our ceremonies and meetings were on one day a week to accommodate my remoteness. Right. Um, but I wouldn't have wanted to participate in them on a call or anything, because I just feel like they're a physical like, activity, particularly things like a retro, where you want to be smashing up some things on the wall and yeah. having, having genuine conversation where you can see everybody's faces and responses. So I'm not saying that um, every organization should, you know, be set up to handle remote work at all. But I do feel like it's an organ. Sometimes when remote isn't working for an organization, it can be an organizational problem rather than a people problem. Think that there's things you need to do to make sure that you're remote friendly as an organization. Um, taking conversations to video, even if three people are in the same room. Um, you know, these are all like shifts that organizations need to do, but it, I think it's doable. But I wouldn't say it's right for everybody. That's like a big deal now for me. Yeah. Like I would have said that about three or four years ago. I'd have been like, ah, yeah, everybody can be remote. We should all be remote, you know? <laughs> but I kind of have evolved that opinion a bit because I had such good experiences with being in the office at the BBC. It turns out some of the offices I'd worked in, I hated being in the office, but that was not the office's fault. If that, it was a people problem and an organization problem. Right. So it works both ways, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in all those years uh, doing remote or par- partially remote work, what's been the biggest challenge you've seen organizations have? It's, it's all, I, th- I really mean, like, I can't understate this, it's communication. Remote, yeah. being a remote-friendly organization is having communication and maybe formalizing communication policies, which seems, like, really weird, but I really feel like, I mean, I've worked at Rove recently as a consultant, which is an amazing company to work at remotely, but there's just... There's, there's, in that case, it's not a formal policy, but every conversation just goes to a video. Every Slack conversation that takes more than two or three lines of replies, immediately a, a, a hangout is spun up and everyone just jumps in and 
you just shoot it out over a hang-up, right. which solves the problem of mm-hmm. you being lonely or not having interactions with people all day. You know, we just go... I would typically have three, four video calls a day with maybe four people in one, just one-on-one with another one, maybe a pair programming session in the afternoon right. with somebody. You know, it it's a mentality that you need to be able to work with. Um, the biggest challenge is not watching YouTube all day, though, I think. But <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you can have, like, uh, three computer screens. So you yeah. can have YouTube yeah. open on one of them. I do tend to have, like, a game stream open okay. when I'm working, like, as just for the audio, because some, right. some things I can't work in silence for. And that's kind of... Some people, like, will have the headphones on, like we have now, and we're mashing away and will not want any interruptions. And I'm, like, totally the opposite. I really enjoy having like just some kind of noise in while I'm working and a, a game stream or you know some sport event on on TV that's the way that I can work right. some some jobs I'll need silence for like typically expenses or more admin tasks like if I'm working with Jira I'll typically do that in silence but when I'm called in I like to have some right. some kind of and there's no I don't feel like there's a big deal in stopping to watch two minutes of something that sounds exciting on another screen like I'm not yeah. a big believer in People who are in work coding should be head down coding for eight hours of the day. You know, there's your break for lunch and then, right, get back to it. I just don't think I can't work like that. And I know people can work like that, and that's great. But it's not for me, you know, so. Right. Right. Um, So do you, when you do, so what I do sometimes when I work remote is that um, I take a small break and I do the laundry. Or I take a small break and I get some groceries. And that's usually what uh, uh, people in the office find that very weird. Yeah. But on the other hand, people in the office, they take a break and they play foosball, right? Yeah. And things like that. Why, why is it that people find it weird that you do the laundry or get the groceries? <laughs> <laughs> so the, f- the first thing is there's, there's a, a kind of... I, I'm going to say it's an old-fashioned fash- mentality, right? You've got to be in the office so that I can see that you're doing work. Yeah. It, you, oh, I must be. But we should be, as developers, we should be judged on our results, and we should be evolving our process to get those results constantly. That's kind of a thing that I, I've been thinking a lot about in the last three or four years, is that why you shouldn't be judged on the, the amount of time it takes you to solve a task. It shouldn't. You should be judged on your results. It's kind of what like sprints and scrum and story points and all that stuff but kind of taking that to another level if 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 you're getting something done in the right time does it matter if you sat down between nine and five and and did it or does it matter that you got it done because you did a couple of hours here then you went to do the laundry then you came back and did a few hours and then your kids came home from school so you went to the park with them and then you did another few hours at seven till till nine Mm -hmm. o'clock yeah it it i for me personally i find that way of working is both a blessing and a curse because I was online like Wednesday night answering emails and Skype and Slacks at like nine o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. Right. We're a San Francisco based company. So that's kind of a convenient thing for me as well because some of the people I wanted to talk to weren't online in the day. But I do feel like there's so many organizations where they're like, you must be at your desk like between these hours to, and you must be working so we can see that you're there doing yeah. your job because I think it's then it's a trust thing, right? Yeah. It's a trust thing. Yeah. And, but you can be sat at your desk, like browsing forums or reading news sites or doing nothing just as much as you can be at home yeah. doing this, the same thing. So it's, I don't tend to do, like I will nip out to get the groceries and stuff in the day. And I will, I'll often like 
have an hour or so when my kid comes home from school. That's kind of a really nice thing about working yeah, remotely yeah. for me, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But I don't see that as weird. I just see it as, produ- it, if it helps me to be productive, then it's a bonus, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Is that, do, do you do, do you, because some people are allowed apparently to work at least part, part-time mm-hmm. uh, from, from home, uh, do you run into stuff like that? Actually, mo- most people at our office prefer not to work at home most mm. of the okay. time. Okay. Um, there are exceptions. I mean, some people ask for one day or two days a week, um, sometimes very last minute also because yeah. of traffic or whatever. Um, and and that's, always, that's always fine, except when there's a meeting that's already been planned with the customer or something, of course. But... Um, um, some people do leave early and then work a few more hours from home, things like that. Yeah, uh, I don't see a problem with that. Uh, absolutely not. Um, but we tend to have more people at the office than working working remotely. All right. So, um, how do you solve the problem of uh, water cooler, coffee machine talk? Hmm. I don't think that's. I I think that's partially an invented problem. Yeah. Well, what I've what I've actually experienced is uh, companies when I was working remotely like one or two days a week uh, and um, people uh, talk uh, to each other at the, at the at the coffee machine and they decide on things and they don't really communicate that to the rest mm. because you know uh, we, we decided on that everyone knows that no but then if you're doing agile and you're doing scrum and you've got feature planning meetings and you've got um, you, you know, you, and I'm not saying everyone should do that. I'm just saying that is one of the problems that a good agile team, like a framework like agile, may help you solve. Yeah, because in the in the the planning meeting, everybody should be involved: the business analyst, the product owner, the development team, the testing team, and anything that's been said outside of a global scope should then be reiterated and and repeated in in the scope, so everybody knows they're on the same page. That's kind yeah. of part of that process and that ceremony is bringing everybody up to the same level it's difficult though that's not yeah. like i just i didn't want this to become like oh you everybody should be agile because we i feel like picking and choosing the best bits that work for you like mm-hmm. i'm a massive uh, uh, hater of the daily stand-up for example okay something i've had but i've had good and bad experiences with it and when it's bad it's just soul destroying like having to be in a 10 minute stand up every day when that you're basically saying nothing is just why are you doing that but on the other yeah. hand I've had some good experiences with it so yeah it it's, it all comes down to communication this remote thing it all comes down to communication and formalizing communication I'm repeating myself but that is the the, the fact of it for me yeah do you, do you have anything formalized um we have certain standards that we we try to keep to but um, of course it's different uh, than Gary Gary works for a company that has its own products yes we work for customers right. so yeah we have we have teams of two three people working on the product uh, on the project at the same time so it's a little different I mean communication is much much uh, direct much more direct there's no like uh, uh, one person in a massive team who can take a decision for the rest of the team without them knowing right so it's a, it's a bit of a different different uh, situation yeah we we did stand-ups for a while, um, 
but as Gary said, sometimes they are they are quite pointless, uh, especially if people are working on the same thing for a number of days. It's just repeating what you said yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've heard the argument like stand-ups should be more than. I mean, no, I not not. I've heard the argument. Stand-ups should not be. This is what I did yesterday, and this is what I'm going to do today. Right? Mm. That's not what a stand-up should be, no. but that is what it is in so many organizations yep. Yep. where people just stand up and say, yesterday I worked on Jira 1984, and I'm going to finish that today, so I'm going to start on 1875. Thank you, and that's it. And that, you you should be able to, if, if I care what you're working on, I should be able to go and see that in Jira anyway, right? I mm. should go, yes. oh, they, yeah. you know. So it, it should be about surfacing uh, blockages or potential blockages and and surfacing where you need support. Yeah. But I've also I also have the argument that if your daily stand ups at ten AM and it's three PM the day before, are you gonna wait for the daily stand up to say, Oh, I'm blocked on this or I'm struggling with this? And mm. I've seen that happen. I've seen people like do nothing because they're like, Oh, I'll I'll wait for the stand up to raise this this problem. Okay. And that's when I feel like it's like everything in Agile. When it's done badly, it's really bad. Mm -hmm. But when it's done really well and it's structured well, it can be really powerful. So mm -hmm. I'm I'm seeing Ross pointing. <laughs> Ross, if you want if you want to say something, I've got a microphone here. Mark, if you want to say something, I've got a microphone here. You can sit down here. <laughs> yeah. Here's a question. Okay, here's a question. Um, okay, what are let me, let me repeat the question yeah, yeah, for the people <laughs> people at home. Uh, what are the um what did you say? What are the What are the, the Yeah. What are the elements of a good stand up? I wish I, I wish I knew because I'd write a book and make like a million dollars and <laughs> retire. But the, I can only say what I've, what I found useful in stand-ups, and that's normally where it's really it, it comes back to remote. It can be really useful to have a scheduled daily call where everybody just kind of hangs out for ten minutes and oh hi how are you doing blah, 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 blah. that can be useful. It can be useful to find out like. How, how progress is so for example in a recent project we were working on we were working on two features simultaneously and i was just head down on my feature so it can be useful every day to find out how the team's doing on on another feature where they don't necessarily need my formal input but you could you know things ideas could be surfaced when somebody says oh i'm struggling with this and they don't really want to formally call you and ask or but it can be useful to surface i wouldn't say like blockages but things that people are maybe a little bit concerned about but not concerned about to formally kind of call a meeting about it there can be value i think um in in person stand-ups in an in office where you physically stand up i've never actually got value out of them ever that that's my own that, i'm certainly not saying there's no value in them i'm just saying in my experience i've never had value in stand-ups when i've been working in a physical office so sorry <laughs> i know there's an agile coach sitting there Jeroen, come here. I, I, I know I said I, I won't, don't want you on this podcast because we recorded another one, but I, I have the feeling that you may have something to say about this. Hi. Uh, this is Jeroen. Hi, Jeroen. Hi. I, I will be introduced probably the next podcast. In the next <laughs> podcast, yes. <laughs> uh, for me, the, the, the stand-up is also uh, 
putting something uh, of a, a rhythm in the team. Uh, next to just uh, yeah, saying those, asking those three questions and answering them. For me, it's also uh, having a, a basically a step back for the team and look at the board. What, what's the currently the situation? How are we going? Is it still going according to plan? Because in my experience, it's easy to, uh, if you're, you're working uh, to keep working. Well, right. I'm, I'm, I'm working on this one. I'm continue to work on this the next day, and I'm from there. Uh, but I agree with Gary. If it's uh, if the team is mature enough, uh, you should definitely not wait to the stand up. Uh, talk to each other, open the communication, right. and then if everything is going right and you're doing that, basically the stand up can be finished in five seconds. Why wow, that's fast? That's really fast. <laughs> I've never seen that uh, working like that. Yeah. But I think if uh, if you're open, if you have the communication, if you look at the board uh, frequently. You can yeah basically do the stand up during right. co every uh, during the time when everybody gets some coffee. Okay. Look at the board, see what's happening there, and yeah. uh, talk to people. Okay, that's cool. Um, all of a sudden, a lot has changed here at the table. <laughs> um, <laughs> Ross was uh, mixing things up a bit, so now I have uh, new people uh, sitting here. Hi, James. Hello. Who are you? Uh, my name is James Tickham. I'm from England. Uh, you are from England. Yes. yes. Okay. That's good. <laughs> I know who to mock now, after the football yesterday. I don't watch football. So <laughs> okay. I have no idea what happened yesterday. That's a good thing. Uh, I did see some people in the bars around Amsterdam, so I don't right. know. Okay. I okay. don't know whether they were happy or sad. Ah, I suppose okay. it depends on where they come from. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. And on the other side of the table, we also have a new face. Who are you? I'm Thomas. Um, I'm from the Limburg province of the Netherlands. Uh, ah. work for a company called Netherlands. Yes, I was there yes. like a month ago, maybe? Yeah, a month it's a meetup. Yes, yeah. there was a meetup over there. Nice. Well, welcome. Welcome. So, so what do you do at NetEnds? Um, well, junior PHP developer um, and work in a small team uh, of a couple junior developers. <laughs> um, and they work on a few projects in a, yeah, in a Scrum team. Okay, so, so that's cool. So you say uh, junior developer, uh, how long have you been doing development? Um, about four years. Four right. years, okay. Two of those were at small companies where, well, learning experience were obviously a bit less. Right, okay, okay. And um, what's, what's been your, your major challenge so far in your development career? Um, I guess frameworks, Dan. That's, that's, okay. that, that's a long time ago, locally, um, but that was obviously the, the big step. Right. When I first started my first job, I hadn't worked with frameworks at all. Um, and well, that was obviously a big step. Suddenly you had to understand other people's codes and yeah. you, you first worked with other classes and slowly yeah. you learn to understand them, slowly you learn to read them. It, it was a big step. Right, right. Yeah, I can imagine that being intimidating when you're new to it. Yeah, and that's also, I think that's, that, that intimidating part was also the part I didn't learn it by myself before I got a job. I sort right. of had to be forced into that. So, so did you do uh, any kind of education to become a developer or was it something you learned yourself? Um, it, I had some, uh, some education, uh, application developer, that's on MBO level and I don't know what that's, <laughs> and it's I don't know how that translates yeah. to, to international standards yeah, now, yeah. but okay, that's fine. So you did some kind of application yeah. developer education, yeah. um, but and so they, they teach you to program, 
but they don't teach you any frameworks not yet i okay. from others i hear today it is indeed they do teach it oh that's good back then it was yeah. mostly plain php some basic right. javascript with jquery and well okay that was it okay i have another new face next to me hi mark hi stefan let me how let me you? point the microphone a bit more to i'm i'm good how are you i'm very well thank you um uh, can you introduce yourself okay i'm mark baker I would say I'm English, but I'm a Dutch resident, so I don't have to worry about football. Yeah. I don't think of anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Moving yeah. over here was my Brexit escape. Yeah, yeah, because you moved over like uh, not oh. that long ago. Eight months ago. Eight last months October. ago. And um, how how has it been so far? I love Amsterdam. It's one of the reasons why. I chose the city to look for right. work abroad. It's a beautiful city. I like the people, thriving tech culture. Yeah. And I've got a new home conference, of course. Yes, My of course. My local conferences. You're now conference. a DPC, and this is now your, your local conference. That's yeah. correct. Had you been here before? I think I've spoken here five times before, attended six. Right. Uh, so this is my seventh DPC. Wow, wow years i'm an old hand here yeah i know to avoid falling into the canals and uh, <laughs> <laughs> well that's the thing that english people do right falling into the canals here <laughs> i've got to say i'm very worried about falling into a canal at some point don't worry at the moment they're full of trees yes yeah. <laughs> <That's true. Yeah. laughs> so um, um uh, james you've been here before as well right yes 2015 was my first one right and you've been there here every year since then? Yes, uh, as a speaker before this year, this year I'm just attending ah, and uh, good. taking in the talks and yeah. visiting the Uncon and being uh, roped into an unexpected podcast. Yes, yes. That's uh, you can you can blame Ross. <laughs> Thanks Ross. <laughs> um, so so we were talking uh, earlier uh, about learning frameworks and the you know intimidating feeling you might get when you run into something like that. Do you, w what, what would you think would be a good solution to that, aside from um, school teaching it? I, I think you already hit the nail on the head there. Um, reading code is, is a lot more difficult. Anyone can write code. That's easy, okay? It's reading code and trying to make sense of it is, uh, is a real art. Obviously, uh, writing code that's understandable is also a bit of an art as well. So it's, it's, it's a communication. And I think, uh, Kevlin, in the... Uh, uh, in the keynote this morning, kind of put that quite nicely as well. Sort of, it's uh, your architecture is a result of your communication and how you work as a team and so on. So, right. um, yeah, um, I, I worked a lot with Zen Framework um, back in the days where the documentation was not, you know, not great. Um, I know Gary, uh, who was not on uh, long ago, he did a lot of work to uh, help try and bring the documentation up to speed a bit. So, right. you know, I was not afraid of diving into the framework, trying to read through it and understand it. So um, try and make heads or tails of the code and where it's going and uh, what magic is happening under the hood and things like that. So, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, so, so documentation is uh, at least part of helping the more junior developers then? Uh, I think so, yeah. There's, there's, there's lots of different ways of helping, right? Documentation is one of them, videos, 
blog posts, going to talks, you know, it, it all helps. Um, you know, people learn different ways. Some people learn visually, some people, you know, like uh, audio and things like that. So, you know, technical podcasts and things like that as well will, yeah. will, will help. Um, and it's whatever works for, for you as an individual to learn um, and, you know, pick up things. Okay. So, yeah. so what is, over the years, um, the most valuable thing you learned as a developer? Hmm, that's a tricky question. Um, being able to talk to people is uh, is quite yeah. a skill, um, uh, which you wouldn't think. Oh, well, you're sitting on a computer all the time, but um, actually, uh, communication is 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 really key. Um, not just when you're wor working remotely, like Ari was saying early, but, uh, earlier, but earlier. Uh, but you know, even when you're sat in the same office, um, and if you're sat struggling through a problem and you're just banging your head against the keyboard. Um, you know, it's it can sometimes take a lot of guts to come out and say, "Hey, can someone help me? I'm struggling yeah. with this." You know, um, and trying to find the right time to do that. You know, not too soon, so you're not annoying your colleagues all the time, and not too late, where actually you've wasted time that you know you could have saved uh, by by just reaching out and asking for right. help. Um, and yeah, com communication in in all forms really, I think is. Uh, it's something I've learned a lot more about and probably still have a lot more to learn right. about indeed. Right. Mark, do you have any experience with that? With, with the communication with and, and communication, problems? Yes. Uh, one of the most important things I learned and still don't always get right is to time box problems. I look at a problem, I'll set myself a time limit to solve it. Right. If I had the end of that limit with it unresolved, that's when it's time to ask for help. How, how do you determine what the time box is? can be tricky. It depends on the complexity of the problem. Right. Um, but there comes a point of diminishing returns when your mind starts focusing on solutions you've already tried which don't work and you yeah. can't get those out of your head. I think that's a good psychological way of knowing that you've hit your limit. Right. When you keep coming back to the same erroneous solution. Yeah. And that's a good time to say, can anyone help me with this? Has anyone encountered this yeah. before? Yeah. Okay. So, Thomas, um, what's the most valuable thing you learned so far as a developer? That's a really hard one. Um, I, I think mostly understanding that you're still working for a business. Some things, as a when you're just starting out, you you really want to do things right, have tons of time, and sometimes things get decided that you don't like. Right. <laughs> to, to put it simply. Yeah. And in the end, it's well, that's. It's money involved in keeping the business alive. Yeah. And that that was one moment where a senior developer once at my first job, just when nobody was around, said to me, well, in the end, you need to remember that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you cannot keep spending time on this one problem because there's yeah. more things that we need to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's uh, three people. <laughs> Sorry, Ross. I guess we have three more minutes. 
30 minutes. No. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Three minutes. Okay. Factor of 10 error. Um, so I guess we have to, we have to uh, um, round off this, uh, this podcast. Uh, that's uh, Ross's way of, of saying that, I guess. I could, I mean, this could be like a Willem Alexander, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, this is where we need video. This is where we need video, yes, indeed. indeed. Ross is contorting himself. <laughs> Ross is now being a weeping angel. Okay, no, let's uh, close off the, uh, <laughs> the, the podcast. Let's uh, do a, a single round. Um, uh, what are you looking forward to most here at DPC? Um, getting to meet uh, friends that I'd known before and meeting new people. Okay, that's cool. Mark, what are you looking most forward to at DPC? I've got so many of my work colleagues are here. Oh, right. This year. Yeah. I think there's eight or nine of us from MessageBird in all. I'm looking forward to going back into work on Tuesday morning and hearing the hubbub of excitement still from all of them. Right. Much more than anything at the conference yeah, okay. itself. It's their excitement I yeah. want to. Yeah. Okay. To Thomas, what are you looking most forward um, to? Seeing a couple of old friends and learn, getting a small introduction in uh, new things. Right. And then for the next couple of weeks, have all my personal projects go completely into that yeah. and learning a lot more about those. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. Jeroen, what are you looking most forward to? Uh, besides meeting old, old friends, catching, uh, catching up with them, uh, meeting new people, uh, also getting uh, get in touch with IT, which PHP. Currently, I'm an agile coach. I'm not doing any development uh, work anymore. Right. So this is your fix of this my, you know, my, the my, technical my stuff. lifeline to the, to the yeah. technical side. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's cool. Wim? Um, seeing some interesting talks, I've, I've spotted a few on the on the schedule already. Uh, meeting old friends and picking up a laptop, actually, that Jessica brought from the US for me. Oh, okay. Well, that's an interesting one, Gary. Um, it's always about the people, right? These conferences. Yes. Y you should be saying, "Oh, seeing all the amazing talks and learning all the amazing new technologies." But it's always about the people for me. Yeah. Meeting old friends, making new friends. Yeah, that's definitely what I'm looking forward to the most. Okay, that's great. All of a sudden, there's Drinking a new, beer. new face here. Sebastian, uh, you were speaking here earlier. What, what are you looking for most forward to at DPC? <coughs> the, the thing I'm mostly most forward looking to is actually my talk uh, tomorrow, but um, it's also uh, meeting uh, people I met like two years before when I was at DPC for the first time. Um, sadly, I couldn't make last year, so it's awesome to be back. Um, so yeah, meeting the people is, is always really, really nice. And yeah, seeing a lot of talks and getting new ideas for, right. for the next couple of weeks. Yeah. And yeah, getting inspired. That's most of the time. That okay, that's cool. And then... Ross. Well, mind you, you organized the Uncon. Let me just introduce you quickly. Sure. You organized the Uncon together with Aisha. Mm -hmm. um, what are you looking forward to most? Well, my big dream with this event was to sabotage a podcast, and now that I've done it, <laughs> well, the, the event is really just complete for me. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Okay. <laughs> well, I want to thank you very much for, uh, for hosting the podcast here, uh, for allowing me to set up all my gear and talk to people. Um, so thank you very much, and um, enjoy the rest of the Uncon, I guess. On behalf of uh, myself, Isa, and all of the DPC organizers, thanks for coming, everyone. Thank you for listening to By the Campfire. For more information about the podcast or finding other episodes, 
check by the campfire.net.